Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Bible Unmuted. My name is Matt Halstead, and it is a delight to be with you once again. Well, we are going to do a Q&A question and answer part two, round two, whatever it is, um, today, because we have some questions um, from folks, and I want to get these questions answered the best of my ability, at least. Well, to help me out, um, we've got somebody here who was with us last time, my beautiful, lovely, amazing wife, Tasha. How are you doing, Tosh? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Well, I'm splendid. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just have to tell you that the, the last time, which was the first time you were on the show, you helped with the Q&A. Um, everybody loved it. So oh, good. <laughs> every, everybody loved it. Like, I, hope, I hope so. You really need to do your own podcast. And, oh. and I can... Uh. I think they like you better than me, for sure. <laughs> Whatever, oh my goodness. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about this because we have some really good questions, and um, I think I think they're they're important questions too. And so I want to get some of those answered. I've, um, by the way, just real quick, um, if you have questions, please feel free to email me. I'd love to hear um, what you're thinking about scripture and the things that you're you're wrestling with, some text and scripture. And uh, if you would like, yeah, just send it in, email me. You can use the contact form on my website. I'd love to, to get a library of questions and we can put them on the show and uh, hash them out like that. I don't have all the answers, but um, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a stab. So, um, hey, and also before we get to the questions today, I want to just remind everybody, if you like this podcast, do me a favor, if you would, go and you know give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform. You can share it with your friends. That helps out a lot. And if you find this this uh, podcast to be a great resource, then uh, share it with your friends and um, and spread around. I, I would really, really appreciate that. Okay, well, let's get to the questions for today. Okay, so question number one. Ryan says, when Jesus tells us to watch for the end times and be ready for his return, what does this tangibly mean for someone living in the current day? That's a really good question, and it's a question I think more people need to ask, because when it comes to eschatology, I think one mistake that we often make is we have our eyes strictly on the future, and we're so, we get so obsessed with the future that we forget that, you know, lo and behold, we are living in the present. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. But, but here's the thing. There's an assumption about eschatology that, namely, it is all about the future, and Let me just say that that is absolutely not true. Biblical eschatology is not like Nostradamus, you know, you know, uh, you know, crystal ball looking into the future. A biblical eschatology is actually about the future, a future hope that fleshes itself in the present and yet still connected with the past. So with biblical eschatology, you have this beautiful dance between past, present and future and um and and they they have all have to be maintained you know in tension with one another but also uh, you know closely linked up to one another so this is why i love this question in other words is because it immediately assumes what should be assumed namely that there's a present aspect to biblical eschatology so bravo to you ryan i really appreciate that now the, now to the question specifically how, what did he what did he exactly say like how do is we it, live in the yeah what does this tangibly mean for someone living in the current day yeah okay so the the, the thing is it's gonna it's gonna look differently for each individual like everybody has sort of a different calling in their life and you know determine dependent upon what that calling actually is 
will de- determine what exactly that person's going to be doing. But that said, um, there's some general rules I think we can we can uh, take from Scripture uh, to answer that question. So for starters, when um, when I was thinking about this question earlier, some texts that came to mind were John 21, and then there's a passage in Matthew, I'll get to in a minute. But in John 21, there's this fun little exchange between Jesus and his disciples where, um, in, in a sense, they're like, they're kind of talking about the future. They're talking about the return of Christ. And I'm thinking of John 21, verses 20 through uh, 23. I just want to read these because I think it's really helpful. Um, verse 20, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That would be John. Uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was, the, he was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And I like this text for a number of reasons, because apparently speculation about the future is not a 21st century phenomenon, (laughs) that the earliest Christians, the, you know, at least some of the disciples were speculating about, you know, who was going to be around, who's going to be part (laughs) of the final generation, you know? And, um, and, and so that that's going on here. And, and all Jesus said is, you know, well, you know, what is that to you, Peter? I mean, if he, if John is here and when I come back, you know, what does that have to do with you? You follow me. And immediately after the rumor spreads, oh, that means John's not going to be around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. John is going to be around, and yeah. John's part of the final generation. And no, that's not what it was. Um, but but Jesus has a really good point. I mean, go figure, right? Jesus has a really good point here, namely to say, look, you follow me. You live your life faithfully. You go about your calling, and you fulfill the mission I've given you. Don't worry about who is going to be around for the final generation, right? So now, now Jesus is not saying... No, don't think about the end. Don't think about eschatology in that sense. No, I think there are many passages in Scripture where Jesus clearly wants us to think about those things, okay? Um, But the point here is be faithful in the present time with what I've given you to do. Don't mind yourself with other people's business, right? Um, And so this text has always just sort of stuck out to me in that regard, and I think it's helpful here. Um, The Matthew text, I think, is super helpful as well. And it's it's the the um, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter twenty five, and if you go to Matthew twenty five, you start with verse fourteen all the way down to verse thirty. Um, you you kind of get this the same idea. So you guys know the story. This this master um, had given talents to three of his servants, and um, then he um, it says that he he goes off and he. Um, expects them, the master goes off and he expects his servants to be busy working, doing their stuff, applying their talents and so forth. Um, And it says, it's really cool here because in uh, verse 15, it says that he gave, uh, you know, five talents to one and two talents to another and one talent to another, but he does it each according to his ability. So it's a very specific thing that they're each called to do, uh, which I think is a very beautiful way. And then it says after he dispersed those talents that he went away. Mm. And, and so, of course, in some respects, this, I, I think, has some bearing on the question here about w- the, the return of Jesus. He has left the church. He's left us certain things to do, and he's gone away. 
and um, and when he returns, what's what sort of faith will he have found mm-hmm. among his people? And um, now we, we you know the story. You know, one was kind of slothful and just stuck his talent in the ground and did nothing. Of course, he gets in trouble for that. The others um, apply their talents and uh, invest their talents, and they get a reward for that. When the master returns, they are richly rewarded. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful picture, at least a principle of sorts that we can apply to this question. Namely, what are we supposed to be doing? Notice here that those two guys who were rewarded for being faithful, they didn't um, they didn't go build a big tower and stand in it with binoculars looking off for the master to return mm, and yeah. plotting out the days and you know all those sorts of things, building an eschatological calendar. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing that. What were they doing? Well, they were Just working, going about their life, <laughs> you know, doing their doing thing. what they were supposed to be doing. You know, and so. that that's exactly right. And and I think that's I think that's what Jesus would have us do yeah. today. So my answer directly that that's a long answer to a very important uh, short question. Uh, but if I could, if I could just sum it up with this, I would say just be faithful to do what you're called to do. And and I guess I should make an asterisk here. When we say be faithful to to do your calling. Don't think that calling in life has to be, you know, huge or or like mm-hmm. this grand, flashy, showy thing. I mean, it's as simple as loving our families, loving our neighbors, uh, you know, and, and committing ourselves to the ways of Jesus in mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. that we live in. What a, and whatever you work, or sorry, whatever work you find yourself doing, do it well. You know, work is working for the Lord. The scripture says, you know, and that's your calling. If that's where you find yourself, then that's your calling today. You know, <laughs> so that's a uh, really good point. Like, yeah, you know, there was a time in my life where I had to remember that changing a diaper could be done for the glory of God. You know, <laughs> and so, um, so it's you know, but that was my calling at the moment. I, I, that was completely what my day was made up of. You know, so that's a really good point. And I think sometimes when we think of calling, I mean, don't you think it's a struggle of Christians who it's a struggle that a lot of Christians have is like, well what I'm doing every day, the ordinary things. The, those, mun- the mundane. Yeah, the mundane. <laughs> those yeah. can't be calling. I know. think I think sometimes in those moments is when God reveals himself the most or teaches us the most. Mm. You know. That's but, right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, th- I think you're right. Like if we only had eyes to look around and to see and to um notice the presence of God and the work of God, I think I think we would be amazed at at, at, at what we would actually see if we had those spiritual eyes. Okay, well, the next question has to do with end times as well. Jill says, if one comes from a no-rapture standpoint, what does the Bible mean when it speaks about us being saved from the day of wrath? That's a terrific question as well. Um, yeah, so I don't, uh, I don't believe in the rapture in the sense of what is, you know, popularly... Um, taught in in popular evangelicalism, you know, I I I used to believe in that, but I over time I just kind of came to a different conclusion, and I have a whole chapter of it uh, over that topic in my my new book, and um and the question that Jill asks is actually a very common question that I've encountered, you know, from folks, and in, in, in the question is simply, okay, Matt, if you don't have a rapture that takes Christians out of the world. Then what? What about that passage where it says that we are saved from wrath? Because are you are you leaving Christians in the tribulation, Matt, mm. uh, to experience the wrath of God? You know, and um, 
Um, so, so, okay. So let me, let me just back up here. I, I think uh, what Jill may be referring to is the passage in first Thessalonians chapter five, um, verse nine. And I've got it pulled up here. It says, for God has not destined us. I'm sorry, for God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, that passage is significant, uh, for, for many, uh, folks who, um, don't subscribe to rapture, uh, or don't subscribe to, I'm sorry, who do subscribe to rapture theology. <laughs> that's a, that's an important passage. The reason is because the, the, the rapture text that a lot of people point to is in first Thessalonians chapter four, uh, verses 13 through 18. So just the next passage above the one I just read. Okay. So they're closely linked together. And so the idea goes, well, um, you know, this idea of wrath must have something to do with what God rescues his church from when he returns, namely the rapture. Okay, so what I would say here is a couple of things. First, the the, the verse I just read, I don't think that has to do with rescuing from, you know, a coming time of tribulation, okay? And, and the reason I say that is a couple of reasons, but first is, let me read it again, and I'll, I'll make a point about it. It says, um... Verse 9 says, For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and okay, so so that so you have to kind of see this as 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 a kind of a, a verse that has two panels to it. The first panel is God has not destined us for wrath. Okay, what's what has he done? Well, he has uh destined us for the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Okay, so so those two are mutually interpreting. There are two panels in that verse, and they mutually interpret each other. And I think what the reference to wrath here is, is a reference to the final judgment, okay? Which would make sense of why he, he answers that question with saying, mm-hmm. we've, we've been destined for salvation, you know, mm-hmm. not wrath or final judgment. That, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's how you would make sense of that. Mm-hmm. To me, wrath here has to refer to the final judgment simply because the answer to that is, salvation. He doesn't say mm-hmm. God is God has destined us not for wrath but for obtaining the rapture. He says no, you know, for obtaining salvation. Okay, mm-hmm. so that would be mm-hmm. one thing that just one thing I point to. Um the other thing is Well, it, yeah, if I could interject, it also sure. that that coupling of wrath versus salvation there, it's also what you see in Romans 5:9 where it talks about if we've been justified by his blood, even more so we'll be, sa- you know, uh, saved from uh, the wrath of God. You know, I mean, mm. so is that kind of the same thing? Is that kind of the same concept? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think... Um, he says, if we've been justified, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath? Yeah, you know, re- so it's talking you about verse, salvation. Pull, pull, yeah, read that verse uh, from okay. Romans 5. Uh, is it Romans okay. 5, 9? 5, 9, yes. Yeah, so okay. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good. So it's kind of that concept of yeah. wrath versus salvation. That, so that's exactly right. Back in Thessalonians, mm-hmm. kind of seems like it's talking more of a salvation, like the you know final judgment, like yeah. you said, as opposed to the earth continuing on while Christians are saved out of it, kind it, of thing. Exactly. So I yeah, the, the the Romans passage you just read that would be a parallel passage to this one too. You know, and, and it's kind of interesting when you do that, actually, because, you know, Paul wrote Romans and he wrote First Thessalonians. So um, he's going to, he, he seems to use similar language, similar motifs and ideas to, mm-hmm. to get there. But yeah, that's, mm-hmm. what, I didn't think of that mm-hmm. verse. That, that's a really good verse. Um, and I think that that just sheds some more light on the, on the idea. So yeah, so these passages that talk about wrath in, the, in these contexts are 
most likely about the final judgment. Let me say one more thing about this, because um, I feel like I need to say something about First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is one of the top three uh, passages that people go to to um, promote rapture theology. So, for example, if you read Tim LaHaye, he's got a book. And I can't remember what book it is. The End. I think it's called something The End of the World or yeah, The End Times. I can't remember. Um, but um, in that text, he identifies three passages that um, are the most important passages for rapture theology. And, and one of those is, as I recall, this First Thessalonians 4 passage. Mm. And so in my book, um, the, the one that's coming out uh, this coming February, I have a whole chapter dedicated to evaluating the rapture theology and popular conceptions of rapture theology. And um, this is one of those passages that I spent quite a bit of time on. And um, and, and I let I let the rapture proponents set the terms of the debate, really. Mm. Uh, so I, I took what they said were the three most important texts to, to or that they said taught rapture theology. And I said, okay, well, let's look at them. Let's go back and look at them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did, and this was one of them. But so so the reason I don't want, well, let me, let me say one reason why I don't um, subscribe any longer to rapture theology is because of this passage, actually. It's so funny, right? Where some people point to a passage where they get rapture theology, others can point to the same passage and say, well, that's actually why I don't. You know? And yeah. and I think this is where humility really does need to come into play. Is yeah. We are all interpreters, right? We're all trying to, to figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. And we, we all work with the same data, but we don't all work with the same prejudgments mm. or pre-understandings mm-hmm. or presuppositions. Mm-hmm. And um, presuppositions are by de- definition just very personal. You know, the, you know, we get our presuppositions from our heritage, from our tradition, from our churches, from our denominations, and our mm-hmm. families and our mm-hmm. countries. And so mm-hmm. they're deeply personal things. So I, I, I t- and I totally get that. I, I really do. And so, um, so when I read this text, I have, I have a question I've got to ask myself. What sort of presuppositions am I going to have? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, well, I, I the best I can. I want some. I want ancient presuppositions. Mm-hmm. Okay, I yeah. want I want the pre-understandings of Paul and mm-hmm. the Thessalonians and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the thing here is when you read this text, um, Paul employs uh, v- very very important and very technical sort of language. Um, that was very well known in the ancient world. Um, so, so for example, whenever Paul talks about the coming of the Lord, um, you know, and whenever the, the word, the appearing of the Lord, um, I think that's in verse 15 here. Let me see. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the parousia, the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet um, the Lord in the air. So this is this is an important passage because there are a couple terms there that in the ancient world were very important and very technical, I guess you could say. And the first was... Um, the idea of coming, the idea of parousia. It, coming here it doesn't capture the word. It's it's more of like the presencing of Jesus, the mm-hmm. showing up. 
Okay, and then the other word here is in verse 17, where it says that we will meet the Lord. Okay, um, this uh, this idea of meeting is uh, a ponte cease, and uh, and it, both of these parsia and a ponte cease uh, are going to be very technical terms that in the ancient world would have been used to refer to a dignitary coming into a city. Mm. And when they came, before they entered the city, whether it was a king or any sort of royal dignitary, before they came into the city, it was customary to, for, for the citizens of the city to go out and meet them and parade them back into the city. Hmm, where have we seen that? Yeah. For sure. <laughs> like, like when Jesus, you know, with the palm branches oh, and the, okay, you yeah. know, things like that. Yeah, yeah they're meeting, kind of so, escorting him mm-hmm, in. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a very similar idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very similar idea. And that was just a custom to do back then, because because if you're a dignitary of any sort, whether you know religious, political, and back then the religious was the political, and vice versa. Right. But whenever they would come back in, uh, that was that was to signify, hey, this is your city, your rightful place. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was never to go out and meet your dignitary or to meet your lord outside the city and then mm-hmm. stay with them outside the city and to mm-hmm. be taken somewhere else. Mm-hmm. No, the idea was you would escort them back mm-hmm. and parade them back. Mm-hmm. And here. Since Paul is employing these technical ideas, these technical terms, I think the same thing is um, is is going on mm. here as well. Mm-hmm. And so the idea for me, um, you know, if I, I I'm just trying to think the thoughts of um, of an ancient person living in in this part of the world, and I think when they would hear these terms, they would think, oh yeah, okay, Paul, yeah, he's saying that when the Lord returns, we go out and meet him with the expectation of bringing him back. Mm-hmm. to receive his inheritance and to receive the earth that he is Lord of, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I think that's the idea that's mm-hmm. going on here. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, and I, was, I had a thought come sure, to mind sure. that I think, um, I think what you understand about what ultimately will happen at the end really influences what you think about rapture theology. Because mm. more specifically, um, if you understand that, because I think traditionally and, you know, within the last couple hundred years anyway uh, mm-hmm. there's been this thought that you know well, when we die we go to heaven we go somewhere else but and we think well that's our final destination but it's really not um you know it says that he will create the new heavens and the new earth you know and our, our little five-year-old mm-hmm. was actually asking god the other night when he was going to make the earth new again yeah. you know i mean and so <laughs> one of his like, prayers yeah, yeah. W- when's this going to happen i, I want to know i want to be in the know so um i think you have to understand that this you know so you don't see a king snatching some of his citizens and going and setting up his kingdom elsewhere. No, if it's his kingdom, it's rightfully his. You know, I was thinking, um, I can't remember which, uh, what the name of his son, but you know, when David, his son took over his kingdom, uh, David was kind of running scared from his own son. Do you remember? Oh, Absalom. Uh, Sorry, Absalom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So um, it, it wasn't that David just said, well, I'm going to go start a kingdom over here. You know, I mean, he, it was his kingdom. He was just kind of in this limbo of what do I do right now? You know, I mean, because this this is not the way it's supposed to be going, you know. And so, um, but I mean, he had a kingdom and, and, and it was rightfully his to go back to, you know what I'm saying? So I think that if you look at the earth is going to be, you know, heaven and earth will meet again. That's the kingdom of God. Then he will rightfully come back to take. It's not that he's going to snatch you out to go somewhere else and just kind of have this. Eh, plan B, you know, for, for my kingdom sure, kind of thing, sure. you know, I mean, so. Right, right. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't know. Is that uh, making sense? It's just kind of a no, thought. That no, I it, it really does. You know, and I, I totally get what you're saying. I think, I think the idea is that 
we are in a state of an already but not yet. Yeah. Jesus is Lord already. He's mm-hmm. the right, rightful king. Mm-hmm. We've not yet experienced the consummation of that kingdom. Right? We're living in that tension that, you know, theologians call the already not yet tension. Mm-hmm. And and part of living in that tension is is learning how to navigate, you know, all of these sorts of mm-hmm. things. Which kind of goes back to the last question we we answered earlier. It's like, what do you do in the meantime, right? Yeah. What are you supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, um, yeah. So, so your your point though about going, you know, being snatched away and going off to heaven, um, that that's a very popular conception in today's world, mm-hmm. where we have this idea that heaven is, you know, our home for eternity. That mm-hmm. in heaven is, of course, a disembodied spiritual. Uh, existence, right? And um, people often get freaked out by that. And, you know, oh, am I going to be floating on a cloud playing a harp for the rest <laughs> of my, you know? Well, yeah, yeah it, 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 people are forced to think like that because we've given them categories that require them to think like that. Mm-hmm. And in heaven, though, that, that let me just say that that idea of escaping your body to live eterni- for an eternity in heaven, that has more to do with ancient Greek philosophy than it does mm-hmm. with ancient Christianity. Mm-hmm. Ancient Christianity, uh, you know, er, the early Christians, as well as the early Jews, they believed in a reconstitution or a renewal of all things, mm-hmm. a renewal of heaven and earth. And that is why Jesus' resurrection is so important, because he, by his resurrection, inaugurated the new heavens and the new earth in the middle of history, not at the end of history, mm-hmm. but right smack dab in the middle of history, mm-hmm. which gives us a model for how we ought to live in the present as well. We should be a resurrection people, but mm-hmm. we are a people who are waiting for a physical resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so this really gets to the idea is that when Jesus does come, he will come back. And when he comes back, one thing he will do, the most important thing is to renew everything, mm-hmm. is to give give i think it was into right he says he, you know he's going to give all of creation uh, its own easter morning mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful idea mm-hmm. right and but yeah when you go to like most modern evangelical churches say at a funeral i can't tell you how many times i've heard things like this where you know you have yeah your your loved one who has passed and the pastor says something like well he or she has entered their eternal home in heaven yeah. And I say, well, no, no, no. You know, technically, that's what the Bible would describe and theologians would describe as the intermediate state. Mm-hmm. It's not the final state, mm-hmm. right? And the final state is the new heavens and the new earth. And the final state is not a split between heaven and earth. Rather, the final state is the marriage between heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. That's the final vision that you have in Revelation, where earth is the bride and heaven is the bridegroom and the two come together in an mm-hmm. act of consummation. Uh, you know, this is mm-hmm. a beautiful picture of marriage mm-hmm. and everything is made new because everything is one. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say, I, I've said this multiple times. Uh, it's just so important to me as I say, look, one day heaven will be the happiest place on earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think that that captures the idea. So this is admittedly part of my calculus in understanding these passages that you know, a lot of uh, evangelicalism will take as rapture passages. And I mm-hmm. say, no, no, no. Rapture theology feels to me very escapist. Mm-hmm. And it, well, it is where you escape this coming time of trial upon the earth. Mm-hmm. And of course, we get into the tribulation text. And yeah, my view of tribulation is not going to be a, similar to like the left behind or the, the, mm-hmm. the those sort of 
um, ways of telling that, that story. But that's another conversation. Okay, well, that's our Q&A for today. But we have some other questions that um, we'll be tackling here pretty soon. Yeah, it's going to be good because we have some great questions down the pike. We've got um, a question on uh, predestination and we've got a question on the Bible and LGBTQ and uh, some other questions as well. And I just want to remind everybody, uh, look, if you have a question you would like to see answered or addressed on the show, please email me. Go to my website, matthewhalstead.com. And at the top, there's a contact form you can click and submit your questions that way. It goes straight to my email and I will get those. So I look forward to getting your questions and we look forward to being back with you once again for another round of Q&A. Tasha, lovely wife, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you for letting me join you today. All right, everybody. Thanks again and have a wonderful rest of the week. That's the end of today's episode, and thanks again for listening to The Bible Unmuted. If you like this podcast, consider rating it on your podcast platform, subscribing to it, and sharing with your friends. You can also support the podcast by becoming a Patreon member. Go to patreon.com slash thebibleunmuted, or simply find the link to the Patreon page in the description for this episode. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, friends. Thank you.